It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. I'm joined with my good buddy, John Venerable. You find him on Twitter at Johnny's Football. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. Well, Blake, how are you, sir? Doing pretty well. A little bit better than the Cardinals' playoff chances, I think. We have the Cardinals are right now sitting at a uh, kind of a disappointing season uh, at Crossroads where they had a chance to get to 500. Uh, they did not make it uh, with the loss. Let's talk a little bit about the loss to the Texans. First off, what was the biggest takeaway that you had from the game in Blaine Gabbert's first start and just the defense letting up so many points to a Thomas Savage-led quarterback team? Yeah, you said it. I mean, coming into this game, this is a Houston offense that's been struggling mightily since the absence of Deshaun Watson going down with that season ending ACL. And so you figure if the Cardinals score 20 plus points in this game, I figured they'd have a better than decent chance to win the contest. And, uh, you know, with Blaine Gabbert, <clears throat> excuse me, throwing for over 250 yards, two, t- three touchdowns, um, showing, you know, incredible mobility in the pocket, uh, doing a nice job navigating the offense at times, especially in the first half. Um, you know, a lot of things went right in this game for the Cardinals, but what went really wrong, as you mentioned, it was the defensive performance. Uh, this is a unit right now that has, outside of Chandler Jones, no ability to rush the passer in one-on-one matchups unless they're, you know, dialing up a blitz via James Betcher. Uh, it's a unit that looks slow. It looks lackadaisical, especially in the secondary with the lack of tackling. Uh, the Houston Texans did a nice job running the football. They ran it for 134 yards with a r- roughly around four yards per carry. Deontay Foreman, before he blew out his knee at the end of the game, had a career day, 65 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Uh, but I think the biggest story of this game was the fact that the Cardinals just were unable to pressure Tom Savage, uh, and he had his best day as a professional, uh, over 200 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, but keeping drives alive, having a nice day on third down, um, and then – at the end of the day, you know, this Cardinal team isn't capable of putting up, you know, 30 plus points you would think without the likes of Carson Palmer and David Johnson. And so what ends up happening is you're, you're blown out on the road essentially by a Houston team that you had 10 days to prepare for. And all of a sudden you're looking at four and six instead of five and five and three straight home games. It's, it's incredibly deflating, especially when you were going into the half up 14 to 10 and in the second half you were outscored 21 to 7 against Tom Savage. It doesn't get much worse than that. Uh, defensively, individually, we'll talk about, you know, how well Buda Baker played, but you know, outside of him and maybe, you know, I saw Dayon Buchanan make a couple nice tackles for loss. You know, the Cardinals really, to me, are incredibly average on the defensive line. Uh, Robert Kemdichi, I know he had uh, a couple tackles. He had a tackle for loss, but, you know, nobody jumps out on that unit. And with Calais Campbell gone and Kemdichi not living up to expectations, Corey Peters was inactive. You saw how much he plays a factor with the Cardinals' run defense. It just it shows you that, that this team is truly uh, far away from comp- ever competing for a championship or even a division title with the fact that, you know, outside of Larry 
and a, a couple nice defenders, and hopefully David Johnson can come back healthy. Um, this isn't a unit right now as a team that looks like it's going to be viable for some time, and, and you know, major changes are obviously needed in the offseason. But the fact that you get outscored <clears throat> or you get 31 points put up on you by Tom Savage and you had 10 days to prepare, it doesn't get much more embarrassing than that. Totally agree. Yeah, the uh, the biggest thing I think I took away from the Cardinals game, and I, I said this last week on the podcast going in, was I just had this core feeling that the Cardinals were not going to be able to uh, to win the game. It was just a very strange kind of feeling of knowing that, you know, even though you knew that Blaine Galbert was probably going to step up and we'll get into Blaine's performance at least, but it was just a feeling of this lack of trust in the coaching staff. Speaking of the coaching staff, there's been a much talk this week about Bruce Arians with his controversial fourth down call. You take a look at how the uh, the Cardinals, at least in that uh, the position where they had of to uh, potentially go for it when they're down 10 points in their own, uh, in their own territory, uh, choose a running play when they haven't been able to run the ball all game. Sometimes people have questioned the decision. Uh, I know that I believe it was uh, Jess Root did a great job with cardswire.com of breaking down exactly how it really was a fine play call. They should have picked up the first down. It was a blown assignment. So you can talk about execution, part of the reason why Arians took the call back. But the big thing you have to question for Arians isn't as much even the play call so much as just going for it in your own territory on that fourth down and kind of a desperation move. I think that's kind of what the area of most fans have been questioning is. Who's saying, why didn't you go throw to Fitz? Why didn't you, you know, try to target a guy who'd been making a couple of good catches um, and Seals Jones in the game? Why didn't you try a quarterback sneak? Arian said that he hadn't seen Gabbard attempt a quarterback sneak, but overall it's more of you should not have been in that position of desperation of going for it in the first place. Uh, what was your thoughts on the call right there, Johnny? You know, I thought that it was an aggressive move. I didn't mind it at the time. Uh, I didn't like the specific play call, but I liked going for it on fourth down. Fourth and one um, with a mobile quarterback, with somebody as, as capable of, of bringing in any catch as Larry Fitzgerald, if you were to try to a quick screen to Larry and let him try to reach out for a yard. Um, and even with Adrian Peterson, <clears throat> he's still a capable short yardage back at this point in his career. But the fact that you know he had run it for – less than two yards per carry on the day uh, for the second consecutive week just was not productive on the ground. Um, I would have liked to have seen uh, a little bit more of, you know, diversity on that play call. And you got to be honest with yourself without DJ Humphreys at left tackle, they are, you know, incapable of running the football, especially on the left side. Alex Boone has done a decent job as a replacement for Mike Ayupati, but he's not somebody who's a road grader who you're going to consistently be able to run behind and, I don't even want to get into the, you know, the, the fact that the right side of the offensive line contains a, two, two individuals who weren't even supposed to start the year as starters, much less Earl Wofford wasn't even supposed to be on the team. So um, I don't like the play call in the sense that I think that it was slow moving. Why not try a, a QB sneak? Why not try a rollout with Blamery as an option to run or pass? Um, I don't mind going for it because at the end of the day, the Cardinals defense wasn't stopping anybody. I think if you punt back to Houston in that scenario, there's a good chance they're going to go down and get points just the way that unit was performing. And I'd seen enough from Blaine at that point, And I believe that was before the two interceptions that, you know, he was capable of, of driving this team down and putting points on the board. And this is a Houston defense, especially in the back end that isn't great. Um, so I would have liked to see maybe uh, a, a chance where you, you threw the ball downfield and you were trying to be aggressive, but you know, where the strength of this defense is with uh, McKinney and obviously uh, Clowney and some of the nice uh, front seven players is in that front seven. So um, it's unfortunate. Uh, I also don't like the fact that, you know, Aaron's took the blame and then 
put it back on the players at the press conference. I think that's a bad look um, because at the end of the day, you know, I think most fans are realistic in the sense that even if a coach like Arians or, or whomever makes a play call, and it doesn't work out. The execution of it is on the players. And we know what kind of play caller Bruce Arians can be, how deadly he can be when he has, you know, everything clicking and, and all of his personnel you know, healthy and ready to go. That's not the case here. So I think at the end of the day, most Cardinal fans knew, you know, David Johnson's in there. If a healthy Mike Ayupati, G.J. Humphreys is in there. Um, if Evan Bame, you know, were to compete for a starting job instead of being, you know, a bust at this point, if all those guys had panned out and you have everybody healthy and you have Carson Palmer healthy, you know, I like our chances of getting that first down. I go back to the Washington Redskins game of a year ago that the Cardinals won at home. They had a similar call. It was on fourth and one, um, and they were on their side of the field, and they, they had a dive play to David Johnson. They ended up getting it. Uh, that's the play that immediately came to mind. This year, it was probably a very similar play call schematically. You just don't have the horses. And so it's, it is a personnel issue. And so I would have liked to see Arians fall on the sword a little bit more because realistically, I think, I think fans know at this point, you know, you're, just, you're not playing with a full deck here. So uh, I never discourage coaches for going for it. Uh, I think kicking field goals in this league is, is an easy way to, to find yourself in a loss column. I think punting when you have, you know, incapable special teams like the Cardinals have had in terms of their coverage units and defensively how they're playing. I like the idea of going for it. I did not like the play call. I think I would agree with you on the area. The biggest thing I think that I had a question about with this certain play call was when you're in your own territory and Tom Savage has already had a couple of forced plays, I could at least understand maybe you do end up just pitting the Texans deep. Um, you've got Andy Lee as a weapon now, your special teams. It felt very much like it was a move that Bruce Arians did not trust his defense to be able to make a play when they were down by 10. Uh, the Texans did have a good chance at least maybe of running the clock out, adding another field goal if you're not able to stop them. Uh, but instead, the worst case scenario happens once they don't get that play, the very next play call to a long run to Dante Foreman, gets a touchdown, puts the game out of reach for the Cardinals. Uh, it's unfortunate. Um, sometimes the no risk, it does at least lead to no biscuit, but it does feel very different in far as where the Cardinals teams of the past, you expect them to get that play. You expect them to be able to pick up that fourth down. You expect them to convert. And so this year, whether it's the coaching, whether it's a talent issue, uh, there just seems to be some type of lack of trust between the team and they're not able to overcome these. Originally in the past, you get this fourth down, the Cardinals go down, are able to maybe get a touchdown, close the gap. This year, it just feels like as soon as they didn't get that fourth down, the defense just kind of either gave up or blew an assignment. Or It just feels like everything kind of seems to be uh, just kind of breaking down for this team. And that happens at some point when you're in the third-string quarterback. In other cases, um, it just kind of is one of those seasons that it's all you can kind of write it off as. Let's talk and move a little bit talking about Blaine Gabbert and his play because I think most people were honestly quite impressed with it. We talked about how we felt that he was going to have a solid game. He did end up having three touchdowns, two of those to Ricky Seals-Jones. It's the highest touchdown total of his career. But when it came down to it in that the point where they needed points, he did end up throwing one interception, uh, one that was a little probably his fault, the other that was on the receiver a little bit juggled. The Cardinals did end up dropping the game. But I think it comes down to one more thing, at least, as far as for just analyzing. This is something that the Cardinals beat writer Kent Summers touched on, was that Arizona only completed three of ten first downs on the day. And so when you're talking about uh, what is going to be the 
way that you win football games ultimately does come down to third down. The Cardinals were not able to run the football at all. Adrian Peterson had another letdown of a game, despite the fact that the Texans have players in the front end. Uh, it just feels like this team is not able to run the football without DJ Humphreys, as you said. Uh, the team was putting into constantly third and long situations, and they all were able to complete uh, three out of ten, despite the fact that Gabbert's been more mobile, despite the fact that Larry Fitzgerald at least still did have a, a solid game, including a touchdown. Uh, it just kind of is the the question, at least, they have if you're looking at evaluating Blaine Gabbert for a starting role, or perhaps if it is going to be one of these ideas of the quarterback of the future moving forward. The question comes down to, do you believe that Blaine Gabbert could be a guy who the Cardinals should look at starting going forward despite his play or because of his play. Uh, what are your some of the thoughts on that, John? And then I'll touch in on that for uh, real quick afterwards. Well, I definitely think he's earned the right to start the rest of the season. I think if he would have come in against a you know, subpar Houston team at this point and, you know, wet the bed, um, for lack of a better term, you know, like a Nathan Peterman, for instance, that we saw in Buffalo, you know, I think that by de facto, you have to go with Stanton. I think, you know, in any other scenario, if, if Ryan Lindley, let's say, is the third-string quarterback on this team going into this game, I think Drew Stanton plays. But I think the front office was looking for an excuse to play Blaine Gabbert and to give him an opportunity. They let Drew have two starts. He was uh, fairly impressive in both for, you know, for Drew Stanton's start. But, you know, the fact that the season is now lost, you have to absolutely see what you have in the young guy. He's under 30 years old. He was a top he was a top 15 draft pick. He was somebody that the Cardinals, you know, potentially liked out of Missouri. I know Steve Kime has had, you know, many, you know, complimentary things to say about him. So you had to give him an opportunity to see what he could do with this offense. And I think he did a heck of a job. He had three touchdowns in three quarters and he looked, uh, and these weren't give me touchdowns. The, the, the fade to Larry was a nice touch pass. Ricky Seals Jones is hopefully becoming, you know, another, you know, undrafted gem that Steve Kime has been able to unearth. Um, and they've developed a rapport. I know that they've, um, gotten a lot of practice time together on the practice squad or uh, in practice on the third team offense. And you can see that that report paying off on the field. Uh, Seals Jones had three catches for 54 yards and two touchdowns. It's great to see um, Gabbert making him a presence in the offense. Uh, you mentioned the third to 10 on third down. You know, I counted two to three drops from John Brown. Uh, one of them I can remember was on third down. Jerron Brown had one catch. He was targeted three times. J.J. Nelson had one catch. He was targeted three times. I probably counted five to six catchable balls that were dropped uh, by this receiving core. I think if they convert even half of those, you're looking at a 50 percentage completion rate on third down. It's unfortunate for Blaine because I think if the receivers make plays for him, and that's that's what this league comes down to is, you know, unless you've got a Tom Brady, an Aaron Rodgers, somebody like that who can throw the receivers open, uh, an elite, you know, top five to ten quarterback, you're going to need your receivers to step up. And I think a perfect example is what it, what's happening in Minnesota with Case Keenum. You know, he's got phenomenal skill players around him. Adam Thielen's got great hands. Stephon Diggs is a tremendous wide receiver. Kyle Rudolph is a big-time tight end. And they're elevating Case Keenum. He's doing enough with his mobility and a, and a revamp running game to, you know, accentuate the talents of the other players, but he's not carrying that team. And I look at Blaine Gabbert in the similar sense. If this team was the team of, let's say, 2015 with Blaine Gabbert, I think there's no reason this team couldn't, you know, win five of seven to end the year or something to that effect. But you mentioned the fact that this team ran for 48 yards on 18 carries at sub three yards per carry. Uh, and the fact that the receivers are dropping balls left and right to the point where we're going to hopefully see some some new faces in that receiving core this weekend against the Jaguars. 
Um, it's unfortunate for Blaine, but at the same time, you know, I'm optimistic that he's going to play well at the end of the season. And then, you know, you're talking about moving into 2018. You know, there are so many unknowns, whether Aaron's is back or whether he's not back. I think if he comes back, it makes sense to keep Blaine under contract. But, you know, if a new coach comes in here and, and has specific guys or traits that he likes a quarterback, I could see a scenario in which, you know, Blaine is an ass back. And so I think a lot of it comes down to who's coaching this team next year. If the Cardinals are able to acquire a quarterback in free agency that they like more, or if they, you know, if they're picking high enough in the draft that they're almost assured to get a quarterback. But for the rest of this year, I absolutely think he's deserved that. I would definitely agree with you. It's been an area where we've heard about this in camp. We've seen it in camp. We've also seen some production on the field that we have not seen out of Drew Stanton. Uh, As far as for being able to use some of the mobility, I believe he picked up a first down, at least with running. We also were able to see um, just the fact of his completion percentage of the accuracy. Drew Stanton, in all of the games he played this year, didn't get over 55% uh, of his passes completed. Gabbert uh, is much more of an accurate short ball thrower. He completed, uh, I believe, 64% of his passes against the Texans. Texans defense in their secondary has been hurting. That's true. Uh, but if you're looking at that and looking at how many passes he throws, that's about five or so more passes per game that are being completed. So there's pros and cons to it. You're going to see maybe Drew Stanton's going to be able to convert a few more long third and downs, but maybe Blaine Gabbert's going to be able to get you a few more catches throughout the game. He would have probably done a lot better if he'd had a higher uh, catch rate from his receivers. So the team's going and looking at bringing in a couple of different guys. We'll get to see some Carlton Aguadosi. Um, but right now this is a team that's kind of on its feeling like you're on the ropes in a boxing match. You're getting punches to the face and you're kind of just trying to regroup and get ready for uh, for the next set. Coming up next on the Bird Gang Blitz, we'll be getting into the one player who exploded in his first start on Sunday. We'll be talking Buda Baker right after this short break. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. And welcome back here to the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Cardinals rookie who's gotten a lot of publicity ever since the Cardinals traded up for him in the beginning of the second round. That would be one Buda Baker. Uh, Buda Baker had perhaps one of the most sensational opening starts, at least for a Cardinals uh, rookie since perhaps since David Johnson. Uh, That's one of the most impressive debuts. I can go over some of the stats here at least, but he got a grade of 99.9 from – uh, pro football focus, which is just uh, 
a heck of a player for that one. Uh, he had never played more than eight snaps from weeks one to nine, but he had 10 plus tackles, a sack, two forced fumbles in the game. He had recovered one of those fumbles to set up a scoring drive for Arizona. And that's probably one of, I don't know how much you can have much of a more impressive debut than what Buda Baker had. Uh, talk a little bit about what your thoughts on uh, Buda Baker, John, for what his game he played and where you think he's going to be going forward. Yeah, I had confidence in Buddha before they started him, and I know that that's easy to say now after the game he had. But, you know, after Tyvon Branch went down, I thought Buddha would transition to that role seamlessly. Listen, he's 5'10", he's 200 pounds. He's got Earl Thomas ability in the sense that he can play the run. He's uh, quicker than fast, as Mike Mayock likes to say. And if he develops any kind of ball skills, which was his, you know, bugaboo at Washington where he had so many passes that he was able to, to – get his hands on but wasn't able to secure for an interception he's going to be an all pro in this league there's no doubt about it that's why the cardinals saw him as a top 10 to 15 talent in this draft that's why they thought he was worth two fourth round picks to package as well as their second to move up at the top of the second to secure him he was an all-american at washington he's somebody who's hopefully going to be a staple in this defense for many years to come only 21 years old and he forms a heck of a defensive secondary with patrick peterson and fingers crossed that the Tyron Matthew was figuring it out. He looked better this week as well. So, um, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit for this young man. Uh, it's unfortunate, again, that we're sitting here and going on, I believe, weeks 12, um, and he has only played, like you said, averaging eight snaps per game. Uh, but I think he definitely deserves Pro Bowl consideration as a special teams performer. He's been phenomenal in that area as well. I think he's got a chance to lead the team in tackles as we – progress toward the end of the year and part of that is because the front seven right now is not doing a great job in run defense but um, he's just somebody who this team's going to have to lean on I think he's got Pro Bowl potential as early as next season I think he's somebody that is going to be a playmaker for this team for many years to come and it's again unfortunate that we're just now seeing what he can do uh, you know it kind of flops you know the Bruce Arians you know mantra of playing rookies early on in, in Bruce's career I think probably based on the lack of strength of this roster, he played a lot of his rookies, and now we're seeing that he relies too much on some of these veterans and he gets married to certain guys. Uh, the fact that you know Justin Bethel was playing as long as he did and you saw him get beat again this past week, um, it's just unfortunate. It begs me to, to believe, you know, what are they looking at a practice where you know certain guys are, are standing out clearly like Buda Baker and they're not pushing him into the lineup? Uh, I think the same thing could be said with – you know, David Johnson, his rookie season, and they continue to give the ball to Chris Johnson up until he got hurt. So uh, it, it's a little bit of a head scratcher, but at the same time, I'm glad it's happened. I'm glad he's made the transition. And hopefully we can see, you know, a resurgence from this Cardinal defense with him now. D Dale Buchanan looks like he's going to be healthy and, and a force moving forward. He had thir 13 tackles. Uh, again, I mentioned Ty Tyron Matthew. Tremont Williams is playing well. Uh, but again, the, the lack of pass rush from, you know, opposite Chandler Jones and then the fact that the defensive line is, you know, giving you, you know, no ability to either stop the run or generate pressure, it's going to be tough. But that just makes what Buda Baker is doing, you know, all the more, you know, exciting and, and interesting and, and what have you. The fact that the Cardinals aren't, you know, getting pressure and he's still making plays in, in the, either the backfield or in the secondary. 
Yeah, definitely. The Chandler Jones has had kind of a, a quiet game with the pass rush, and part of it, I think, his teams are starting to key up on him. You got to notice that there was a couple of times where Tom Savage moved away from him, but between him and Buda Baker, and uh, Buda also leads the league in special teams tackles. He's just been um, as tremendous in his debut as Justin Bethel was at, in his rookie debut a few years ago on special teams. Those are kind of your two Cardinals Pro Bowl players. If you're going to pick out any two players who arguably are deserving of the Pro Bowl this season, it'd probably be those two. And Larry Fitzgerald, of course, would probably be a nod with the incredible job that he's doing. Uh, but those are the two players who have been kind of the most uh, tremendous here. The other player we can t- touch on a little bit is uh, Ricky Seals-Jones. He's a guy who you can talk about getting guys who came out of nowhere. And he literally came out of off the practice squad, called up after an injury to uh, tight end Ifeani Moma. And he just had a very impressive debut on only, I believe it was eight snaps. He had five, uh, five targets on those eight snaps that he had and had three catches, including two touchdowns. There's a lot of kind of to be said about Seals Jones. He was a five-star wide receiver recruit, um, never really got that much of a chance at Texas A&M. But there's some of the, and I, I believe I sent this out earlier, at least some of the upside that you see from him as far as for with that size and some of the athleticism, he compares pretty favorably to like an Eric Ebron or like a Jermichael Finley when you look at his athletic profile. Uh, I think that it's an area of where now that the team is officially kind of saying that they're not going to bring back Carson Palmer, they're not looking at bringing back David Johnson. And I think we can kind of question if Steve Kime might have made that choice, whether or not they were going to be able to play in week 16. It feels very much like this is a team that's going to be going toward where the future is. You might get to see him for a few more snaps this season. Perhaps you do end up finding kind of that guy who you'd always had figured you might find in Troy Nicholas, uh, who can be a blocker can do a, be a decent passing threat uh what are some uh, he also i believe had a, a few tackles on special teams too in filling uh, talk a little bit about the other standout player from this game uh what did you think about uh the effort that we saw from ricky seals jones do you think it's sustainable or is this going to be more of like a flash in the pan that we've seen from cardinals players you know man i hope not and what gives me so much optimism is the fact that he is a rookie he's not a journeyman he hasn't been you know showcased by other teams and other schemes. This is his first real opportunity to play in the NFL. And he got his first start this weekend or coast start uh, along with Gresham and Nicholas. And he took, took the most of it and took advantage of the opportunity and had three catches for 54 yards and two touchdowns, which is you know unheard of for a Cardinal tight end. That's been a position, you know, you think about positions on the Cardinals team where they haven't been able to draft and develop quality players. Quarterback comes to mind, left tackle comes to mind and tight end comes to mind. Um, and so you get a young man who's 6'5", 245, come in there and do the things he's capable of doing from an athletic standpoint. Really, he's the opposite of Troy Nicholas. Troy Nicholas is, you know, for lack of a better term, stiff. You know, he struggles to, to find, you know, open lanes in the passing game. He, he doesn't have the best hands, but he's a tremendous blocker. Ricky Stills-Jones looks like a, a playmaker in every sense of the word. And like you said, Blake, it comes from being a five-star wide receiver. He has those ball skills. Now he's put on a little bit of weight. You know, hopefully he's able to, to hold up a little bit in, in the passing game in terms of blocking uh, for Drew Stanton or for Blaine Gabbard. But when he's able to go and run routes, you know, he's probably one of the better route runners on this team based on what we saw this weekend. I know that's not saying a lot because right now the Cardinal wide receiver corp outside layer Fitzgerald is, you know, garbage at this point. But, you know, he's somebody – hopefully that can develop into at least a serviceable option in the passing game. Um, Because again, the Cardinals have not been able to find a tight end that has fit this scheme, whether it's been Bruce Arians or Ken Wisenhunt's era that, that they found, they found a playmaker in the passing game. They listen, 
We, I think we all feel like Jermaine Gresham's contract extension was a little bit of an overpay. He's an average to below average tight end right now that I could see being a cap casualty, assuming that the, you know, the cap hit isn't too high after this season. I believe Troy Nicholas is uh, an undrafted or excuse me, an unrestricted free agent at the end of this off season as well. So that's a position that, you know, if there's somebody that needs to step up, I'd love it for it to be this young man who has an opportunity to be, you know, a staple in this offense you know, I know it's one game. I know it's, you know, jumping to conclusions a little bit. But think about going into the next year, assuming Larry Fitzgerald plays, you're going to get David Johnson back. Man, it would really ease the burden of looking for that two, three, four wide receiver on this team if you're able to develop a, a nice quality security blanket tight end like Ricky Seals-Jones. So um, I'm excited about it. I hope it continues. And I think that, again, his rapport with Blaine Gabbert's only going to help. Uh, it, it may not work this weekend against a, a ferocious Jacksonville defense, but there are some matchups he should be able to exploit down the line. And you look at that hybrid tight end position, not too many players in this league that can cover uh, a tight end in that, in that position. We know, we sure as heck know the Cardinals can't do it. So. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think that when you're talking about the rapport between Gabbert and Seals Jones, that if that continues to grow together, that might be one of the biggest um, kind of storylines moving forward for Arizona. It's just going to be for you're going to be looking at offense that's going to be replacing maybe eight or nine players on offense who will not have started in the uh, beginning of 2017 who are going to be starting. Uh, new guys in 2018 so if you can have one of those guys who's been a consistent who's on a cheap deal like seals jones uh, that just is going to be tremendous moving forward for the cardinals one thing at least we wanted to talk about too was just the um the fact that we do have some news regarding larry fitzgerald this week as far as for whether he's going to play whether he's not going to play in 2018 he did sign a 11 million dollar contract extension where he's now under contract for the 2018 season that doesn't guarantee that he's going to play he could still choose to hang it up uh, most people i think it saw that the cardinals were going to make this move after watching fitzgerald play after seeing that he didn't say this is my last season early in the year uh, he's still a top five wide receiver right now overall in the national football league and he's doing it against guys who are like almost 10 years his junior. He's just having such an impressive year. You're not seeing signs of him slowing down just yet. He's been at least a good fit out of the slot and as a blocker. Um, what are your thoughts, at least, John, about uh, if Fitzgerald's going to come back for next year, about what would be the benefit of it? Because he's got 11 million reasons to return to the Cardinals as of now. Yeah, I think that him signing an extension at this point in the season bodes incredibly well for the Cardinals, no matter who's the coach, who's the quarterback. I think he's going to come back and play next year. I think he's the ultimate competitor. I think he has seen what he is able to do on the field with, let's face it, subpar quarterback play, and he's able to produce. I think he trusts Steve Keim in getting this roster corrected. I know that he wants nothing more than to win a championship. And right now, it's unrealistic for next year to say that. You know, crazier things have happened. But in terms of being a playoff team, it doesn't look good for the Cardinals right now in a loaded division that, that contains the, the up-and-coming L.A. Rams, the, you know, the staple that is the Seahawks, and then we're assuming the Niners are going to be improved. So um, I think Larry is also looking at, and I could be wrong here, those record books where he's got an opportunity at the end of this year to cement himself in the top three receiving yards of all time and to continue further in his legacy as one of the best receivers to ever play the game. I think he wants to put doubt in people's minds the fact that he is not superior to, you know, a Terrell Owens, to a Randy Moss. I think that he wants to go down as, you know, the second best receiver of all time behind Jerry Rice. And I think if he played more, uh, a couple more seasons, he's going to be able to do that based on a number standpoint. He's already eclipsed both of those individuals in terms of what he's done in the playoffs. He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, playoff ride receiver of all time. And so you look at if he plays maybe one or two more years after this, he's going to pass 
both of those guys in both yards and touchdowns, assuming that the Cardinals are able to find stability at the quarterback position. And who knows? If they hit on a rookie quarterback next year and they develop some kind of rapport, if he does come back, that bodes well to continue these one-year deals. We've seen guys like Derek Mason, Steve Smith play well into their late 30s. I think Larry's game translates well as he gets older in his age playing in the slot, playing outside where he's a big physical receiver. He's got tremendous hands. That's not going anywhere. Um, his speed, nobody works harder in conditioning his body in the offseason. So he's not one of these guys, you know, like a Mike Wallace who relies so much on his speed that his game starts to deteriorate as he gets older. Larry puts so much into his game and into his craft that, you know, he can beat you in a lot of different ways. And you saw with the touchdown catch this weekend, he didn't necessarily have that corner beat, but he just out-muscled and went up and got the football. And he can win in one-on-one -on -one coverage, you know, anytime he wants. So I, I think it bodes well that he was able to, to come into an agreement midseason I, I would probably put, you know, the percentage. I, I think it's 70-30 he ends up coming back and playing for this team next year. You know, he lost his agent um, a couple of years ago, tragically, uh, I think to an illness. And so he negotiates his own contract now. He's in good standings with the, with the franchise. I think he's looking at, like you said, Blake, I can still play at a high level. I'm putting up monster numbers. I think it was tougher for Larry back when, you know, he was playing a little bit out of scheme, uh, wasn't playing the slot as much. Obviously, the quarterback play for the Cardinals was a dumpster, and he was having those seven, eight, nine hundred yard receiving seasons. So it's probably easier to say for doubt to be put in your mind, like, I don't know if I'm capable of doing this as a high level before. I'm used to putting up 13, 1400 receiving yards. But now with the game changing and the offense is being tailored by the NFL more so than the defenses, there's no reason Larry Fitzgerald shouldn't be able to hit thousand yards every season. So um, not that I'm saying he's playing strictly for the numbers. Nobody's a bigger competitor, but man, oh man, do the Cardinals need him next year now more than ever with the uncertainty of so many other positions and personnel and coaching um, moves that, that are upcoming for this team. So it'd be great to have him back. Definitely. Yeah, no, you take a look at what Larry Fitzgerald's done. He's second in the NFL right now. He's got 69 nice uh, receptions. He's got uh, uh, 760 plus receiving yards. He's going to hit over a thousand again for this season, at least uh, with Blaine Gabbert, with the way that he's been playing. I think that could be also a big indicator is if Blaine Gabbert plays well, Fitzgerald is able to get um, his targets and that continues. Uh, I, I think that you're really going to start to see um, more and more confidence in Fitzgerald coming back because he'll be able to see that he's got uh, at least some stability in the quarterback position a guy who's going to be able to get him the ball. Uh, I think that might be the biggest thing that you might see as a positive out of the Cardinal season is you don't have a guy who's as inconsistent perhaps as a 34, 35 year old quarterback as Stanton. And you're not having to look at a guy like Matt Barkley who can sometimes have just terrible, awful games, at least uh, for Fitzgerald. He's just been seeming to get better with age. He's had uh, two, two last two games in a row. He's had 10 plus receptions and over a hundred receiving yards. And he's had, uh, touchdown catch the last three games in a row so after he had a hot start to the season you saw it kind of die down a little bit in the middle he's just been kind of coming on as being the go-to guy for these quarterbacks and I think that's going to be a huge thing going forward when you're talking about if you have a rookie next year even if you're having to start Blaine Galbert to begin the season just that consistency that you'll be able to have at least for Fitzgerald that might be enough for him to be able to come back and say maybe it's not just being enough to settle for being the number two uh, receiving yards of all time with the touchdown levels he could probably get two 
uh, levels that'll be really, really hard for people to match. He's, he's not going to be able to catch a Jerry Rice. There's been too much retirement talk at least, but if it is one of those areas of where he keeps feeling good, keeps coming back. I do think that that is going to be a huge part for the Cardinals moving forward because right now this, these wide receivers, they're, they're just taking a huge step back as far as uh, regressing, whether that's due to injuries or whether that's just not taking a step forward outside of us dropping the ball. John Brown and J.J. Nelson have been arguably – uh, two of the biggest disappointments of the season, right up there with the offensive line, um, right up there with how you expected Robert Kandichi to fill in for Calais Campbell. And we'll talk a bit about Calais as we preview the Jags, but it's just an area where you take a look at what Larry Fitzgerald means to this team. And if he's one of those guys who will be there for the transition of going to the next Cardinals, whether that's going to be a different head coach, whether that's going to be, you expect some changes to be made at least. It's hard to see James Betcher surviving this season or being brought back another year after you give up these uh, another 30 plus point game uh yeah so when you look at Fitzgerald if he comes back that's a huge indicator for the Cardinals of being able to have some of that stability moving forward it also will give you another year to find that number one threat it'll give a a great guy for your rookie to look to I think it's got to be really important for Fitzgerald to come back and if he doesn't then that's going to be an area of Steve Kimes just going to have to come up and be able to find a way to fill that hole because it's going to be incredibly difficult to replace a Larry Fitzgerald All right, coming up on the Bird Gang Blitz after this break, we'll be talking about just taking one last look at the Cardinals-Texans game about the play of Patrick Peterson matching up against maybe who some consider to be the best wide receiver in the National Football League right now and DeAndre Hopkins, who won that battle in the back and forth. And then talking a little bit about Tyron Matthew, how his play has come on in the last few weeks and his future in 2018. We'll finally wrap it up with the Jaguars preview. There's a lot of storylines left. Uh, We'll be back right after this on the Bird Gang Blitz. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Welcome back to the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, we're going to go and get into now two of the uh, bigger names in the Cardinal secondary. That's going to be Patrick Peterson and Tyron Matthew. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Patrick Peterson. Uh, he had a matchup with DeAndre Hopkins. You got to see a little bit of the back and forth. He got beat on a touchdown pass earlier in the game, but you also saw him have a couple of different pass breakups, including a good tackle. Talk a little bit about Pat P and just how he did in this game, which is probably his toughest uh, competition he played yet. Yeah, I thought Patrick played well up until he got beat for the touchdown against DeAndre Hopkins, which you mentioned that Blake Hopkins is playing as well as any receiver, if not better, in the National Football League. He's got you know over 800 yards, but he leads the league in touchdowns at nine. And that's been with two games via Tom Savage and a half to start the season. He did have you know superstar rookie uh, Deshaun Watson throwing to him. And look out, that's going to be a scary combination moving forward, assuming 
Watson is able to stay healthy. But you know, I heard a lot about Hopkins coming into the season that he had lost a step, but really it was just the Osweiler effect. Uh, Brock Osweiler obviously was the quarterback of the Houston Texans last year. When they was unable to, to get him the football, we know how, how that goes for a superstar wide receiver. We saw that for way too many years in the desert with Larry Fitzgerald and the slew of garbage quarterbacks that he had to play with. But, you know, Patrick Peterson is a top three to one corner in the NFL. I think he's likely the best, if not, you know, one of the best. But again, if you can't get him competent, somewhat competent pressure on the quarterback, you know, no no defensive back can cover any wide receiver for five to seven to 10 seconds, much less Hopkins, who's playing as well as anybody right now. So uh, I think it's unrealistic to expect Peterson to continue these, you know, phenomenal numbers week in and week out when the Cardinals aren't rushing the passer. We talked about, you know, the, the inconsistencies, to say the least, on the defensive line. Uh, and so I don't hold it against Patrick. You can have a, a – I don't even want to call it a bad game. You can have a less than stellar game every now and then. It's unfortunate that it came against Tom Savage in a game that a lot of people thought the Cardinals had an opportunity to win on that matchup. But Hopkins, as you can see, motivated this year to prove the doubters wrong. He's just – he's a big-time talent, and hopefully he's able to continue the success with Watson moving forward. Peterson, I have no concerns about. Uh, I think he's going to do a phenomenal job this weekend against Jacksonville. I think that, you know, his interception in this game was uh, one for the highlight reel, one-handed, and I thought he was going to scoop and score. Still waiting for that first Patrick Peterson pick six or one of the first. I can't remember if he's ever mm-hmm. had one, but all that I – has he had one, Blake? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, he's had a couple of them. The The biggest one, I think, for a lot of it is just that he's not being targeted very much in James. And this is one thing that was interesting to watch was just how much Peterson was targeted by Tom Savage. It was very interesting with how Bill O'Brien, they went after him. He won some. He lost some. It's just been interesting to see kind of how he hasn't been able to have the impact as much as he normally would have because of the scheme. There was a highlight reel that you at least got to see. I, I think that we had this on Revenge of the Birds. We tweeted this out, but you had Patrick Peterson was on DeAndre Hopkins, and all of a sudden Hopkins moved from one line, one side of the line to the other, and Peterson just kind of threw his head back, just in disappointment because they were playing a zone defense in that point. Sure enough, it's on the third down play. Hopkins ends up wide open. He gets a, a reception. The Texans move the chains, or at least I believe moved into scoring range at that point. So when you're talking about with Patrick Peterson, that if he'd been matched up on him completely the whole day, he might have had better numbers. He might have held Hopkins to under 50 yards, still giving up a touchdown. But I do think that in part of the area where you can talk about with whether it's blame or whether it's zone, is that James Betcher just does not trust the secondary at this point to be able to hold up outside of Patrick Peterson. And he's still been shifting around where teams are able to exploit matchups just by little switches like this when Peterson has to stick to his zone and can't follow. So I think that you can look at Patrick Peterson and say that he's having an incredible year. Um, in some cases, it's not that he's being held back, but I think you got to look at him as being like, you can talk about if there's a number one or the best corner in the NFL. There's not another cornerback outside of maybe Jalen Ramsey with the Jaguars who's doing what Patrick Peterson's doing at this high level right now where he's following around a team's number one wide receiver and effectively like removing them from the game plan. He still hasn't allowed 100 yards, uh, I believe, since 2015 when he had had a diabetes issues, at least, that he was still working on. So it's just kind of impressive to see that this is kind of a, a defensive version of Larry Fitzgerald for the Cardinals. This has been one of the best uh, draft picks that the Cardinals have probably ever made, and I think that we need to at least rectify and recognize that. Uh, Another thing we can want to move into at least has been the play of Tyron Matthew. Over the last few weeks, Matthew, after a really poor start to the season, has started to come on in a big way. Uh, He had a really awesome play at least where on a second and third down, he single-handedly blew up two of the Texans' plays. 
Uh, he seemed to show no hesitation. He showed explosiveness. Um, he hasn't been able to uh, make as many any interceptions as he seemed to originally in camp. There still might be a step missing, but it does kind of feel like the Honey Badger's starting to get some of that confidence back. Uh, and it's almost kind of an interesting timing. It reminds of Justin Bethel last year where he had his foot injury he was recovering from and had some solid play to end the year. But there's still going to be a huge $20-plus million cap hit for next season. So I do think this will be one of the biggest upcoming stories yet for the rest of the Cardinal season is how does Tyron Matthew continue to play? Do we see continual improvement? Do we see kind of a ceiling that he hits at least? Um, what are some of your thoughts at least about Matthew, and what do you think that the Cardinals are looking at him right now heading into 2018? Yeah, it's it's going to be one of the biggest topics of the offseason is whether or not the Cardinals decide to keep Tyron Matthew under contract or not. You mentioned the cap hit, which is over $20 million. You know, I lean on the side of they just gave him this extension. They want to see what he can do at you know full health. He's had injury concerns. Uh, whether his 5'9", 185, 185 frame can hold up long term, we just don't know. But I think it would be difficult after what we've seen from Calais Campbell, Tony Jefferson this offseason, Alex Okafor, to let him go and have success with another team. And the fact that you know he's only going to be 26 this time next year, uh, I think they're going to keep him under contract, especially when you consider you know the slew of cap space that this team's going to have, assuming Carson Palmer's bought back, assuming that Mikey Potty, Jared Vildier are gone. You're going to have a lot of cap space open up. And I think that you know they've come to the conclusion that you know, Tyron Matthew, whether or not he ever becomes the honey badger again on the field, you know, he means a lot to this locker room. And I think they're going to give him probably one more year to see what he has, assuming that he doesn't completely fall off in the second half of the season. You know, right now, he's still one of the better tacklers on this team. He's got a nose for the football. It's just in the past, in his past defense has just not been where it needs to be. It really hasn't been the same since 2015. So you're going to probably give him half a season to hopefully get that situated um, but again, we talked about it. He looked great in camp. I thought he had a nice preseason. Everybody assumed he was going to have a phenomenal season. But you know, maybe it's maybe it's Tyron Matthew. Maybe it's a little bit of you know the defensive scheme via James Betcher. Um, and we saw how effective Tyron was in his rookie season with Todd Bowles. You know, a defensive coordinator change might be you know something that helps Tyron more than anybody else. You know, we've seen Tyron. Uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, Blake. Get into it with. Josh Weinfuss, or not Josh Weinfuss, um, one of the Cardinal beat writers in terms of, you know, calling him out with, you know, his inability to cover the slot. And then he, you know, snapped back at the, at the reporter and basically said that, you know, that wasn't my assignment. You don't know what you're talking about. So maybe it's, maybe it's less Tyron getting beat one-on-one, even though we've seen specific examples and maybe it's more of scheme and he's not getting the help that he needs. So um, I don't think they're going to move on. You know, everybody is rooting for this young man. And, again, I think the combination of his age and the, and the presence that he's had on this franchise over the last couple of seasons are going to lead them to believe that he's going to hopefully bounce back. And I also don't think it's a good look to give a guy an extension and then cut him, you know, a year later after what he's done for your franchise and the fact that he is playing, you know, decent football to end the season. I think they're going to give him one more year. I would agree, and we'll see if they end up restructuring or if they'll end up trying to see at least. And it might be similar to some of the cuts that Larry Fitzgerald has taken just to get them a little bit more room. Uh, from what we know of Tyron, he says he's not going to take a pay cut. I, I don't foresee him taking a, a pay cut. I don't think they're going to offer him to take a pay cut. I think it'll be more similar to an area of maybe they'll move some more of that money 
um, where he'll get it paid a little bit quicker up front from the past year. So it might be that you'll end up seeing a little bit less in this uh, upcoming year. We'll push a little bit back to maybe 2019. That'll be kind of where you'll see that big decision. If Matthew keeps making the progress he's made, you look at putting him and Buda Baker on the field, that still might be kind of the future of your team. Um, you don't want to cut a player before he's going to be um, – uh, before he's kind of had used up all the usefulness that's been there. And Matthew really is kind of an uh, interesting hot button topic for, among Cardinals fans. Some have been kind of saying to cut him, move on from him, push it away. And it's just an area of you don't want to move on from a guy too soon and make that mistake. Um, the Cardinals have kind of been doing maybe with Clayus Campbell. We'll get into that over here next in just a second, at least whether that's been a, a gaffe on Arizona's part, whether it was a wise decision, at least not to pay him all the money. Uh, but it's at least going to be interesting with uh, the return moving forward. All right, uh, let's move on from the Texans game and take a look at the Jaguars game. Uh, first of all, we've got some uh, kind of quick breaking news, at least as far as for the injury reports going in. They kind of had the final uh, reports for practices today. You've got um, Corey Peters and John Brown have been ruled out for the Cardinals this weekend. Uh, Josh Morrow and uh, Olsen Pierre were able to practice, which is good. Pierre, before his injury, had been kind of the flashiest Cardinals defensive lineman. Uh, you're probably going to see quite a bit of Robert Kandichi still in this game, you'd assume, at least if um, Peters is going to be out or if the others are limited. Uh, but on the Jaguars' side, Jalen Ramsey, uh, their all-star prep playing at all-pro level cornerback, suffered a hand injury today in practice, and he declared himself out for Sunday's game. So this is a tremendous loss for the Jaguars who've had two of the best maybe the best cornerback tandem in the NFL this season Ramsey was probably going to be lined up a lot on Fitzgerald uh, or maybe even on the outside at least for JJ Nelson to take away the deep game uh, what do you think is kind of the impact that you're going to see at least just from uh, how their scheme has been just from like this is the Cardinals if they had Patrick Peterson out what do you use your first reaction to that news that you'd say well, I think it gives Larry Fitzgerald an opportunity to have success continuing his, you know, tremendous season. I think that, you know, going against probably the best corner in football this season in Jalen Ramsey would have been difficult. Uh, I don't think that he would have shut Larry out by any means, but I think that, you know, the way that he's been playing in the combination of, you know, how tremendous that Jaguar front seven is, can't believe I'm saying that, but how, you know, how ferocious that pass rush is. They lead the league in sacks. They're on pace for the most sacks, I think, since the 85 Bears. They're putting up you know, historic defensive numbers in the same category as those Bears and the Legion of Boom. So that's how they're winning games, defense and special teams and running the football. So I think that that's big. If the Cardinals hope to, to stay close in this game, I don't expect them to win. We'll touch on, you know, score predictions. But at the same time, I think it gives Larry an opportunity to have success. But at the same time, you know, the Cardinals are so inept at the other receiver positions. And, you know, Bayou's a, a nice corner for the uh, Jaguars, and they've got some – Gibson and some other, you know, integral players that they can move around. I don't think it's going to be that big of a loss considering how limited the Cardinals are in the passing game. I, I think I would at least agree because uh, normally if you're talking about a Carson Palmer led team, if David Johnson's healthy, uh, that might be a bigger impact as far as just being able to have one side of the field shut down uh, with this offensive line. But with, uh, with Blaine Gabber against this ferocious pass rush, Clay's Campbell is just still has a, still, I believe, leading the league in sacks this year. He had a tweet that he'd sent out at least earlier where he said that for Thanksgiving, he was thankful for a defensive coordinator who put their team into great positions to get sacks and to make plays and for them to become Saxonville. And the first thing that I thought when I saw that was, wow, that is almost a tremendous indictment of James Betcher, just by being able to say that even despite the fact that Arizona was first in sacks last year that in the league, that he had one of his best seasons, at least under Betcher, he's having a better season now. And it was just kind of an interesting area of where he praised the 
Jaguars defensive coordinator, which is in kind of a way just a huge blow against the Cardinals struggling defensive coordinator in James Betcher. Uh, you also have looking on the other side, Blaine Gabbert going up against his former team with Jags fans. And if they're able to get pressure on Gabbert and sack him a lot, you know, he can be sometimes more skittish when he's rushed, um, at least in past years. What are your thoughts on these two kind of angles as far as for a revenge game for Gabbert as well as a kind of a comeback game of uh, Calais as far as for Arizona not offering him that money that he was looking for? You know, I, the revenge game for Gabbard is interesting. I, I don't know if Blaine's played the Jaguars since he's left. I don't think he did with San Francisco. I'm, I may be wrong, but considering that the Niners play in the same division as the Cardinals and uh, the fact that, you know, the Cardinals haven't played the Jaguars recently, I don't think he's played them recently, but I'm not sure on that. I'd have to double check, but I don't think Blaine holds any ill will uh, against the team. Listen, you know, he was put in a, in a position of, you know, trying to carry a franchise that, you know, was a perennial loser and a, a dysfunctional team to say the least. I'm glad to see that they've turned it around, but at the same time, you know, the team put around Blaine is, you know, the, the exact opposite of what Blake Boros has had an opportunity to play with some tremendous wide receivers, you know, a potential, you know, pro bowl running back and Leonard Fournette. And now one of the greatest defenses of the last decade, I think Blaine would take any of those three, much less all three together. So I don't think that's a big storyline. I think the biggest storyline, like you mentioned, is the return of Clayus Campbell. It was disappointing when he left. I wish they would have been able to get a deal done. They have money available. They had money available at the time. And you think about the fact that, you know, you let Clayus Campbell go, who was a staple for this franchise, who was a staple in the community. And you essentially told him, you're expendable. We're going to give essentially your role or your job to, you know, I don't want to say selfish, but an unproven, you know, individual out of um, Old Miss and Robert Kendici, who's had off the field problems. I think that was a little bit of a slap in the face. And I think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, they probably couldn't be more different in terms of the human beings that they are. And then especially on the field production wise, uh, I wish there would have been an opportunity to get a career lifetime contract with Calais Campbell done. I know that goes, you know, opposite of, you know, the Bill Belichick's of the world. You want to give up on him a, of a year early rather than a year late, you know, even Bill Belichick traded away Chandler Jones. So, um, you know, I can see that, that argument. And at the time, you know, I, I had hope for Robert Kim and some of these other defensive linemen, so I thought, okay, Calais has been a great player for the Cardinals, but he certainly hasn't been capable of winning defensive player of the year. And so if I thought that this is the Calais Campbell that we were essentially cutting ties with, of course I wish they would have re-signed them. Um, but I, I'm under the impression that, you know, if you think that you're going to have a chance to compete for a championship and you're going for it with older players, why would you let your best front seven player or really your best defensive lineman go into free agency and leave this team right when you think that your window is closing, you know, one to two years from now. Just doesn't make sense to pay Carson what you're paying, to pay Larry what you're paying, trading second round picks for Chandler Jones, paying Patrick Peterson, guys that are in their prime or out of their prime, but you're hoping to squeeze, you know, one or two great years out of them. And then you let Clayus go. It just doesn't add up. I get it. If you're rebuilding, if you want to go in a different direction, if you want to go younger, you know, a lot of teams, you don't have to justify it like, well, we're, we're going to let Robert Kendici play your old role. We're going to see if he can, you know, emerge as, you know, a great player in this league, which he, unfortunately he's not at this point. Most of the good teams in this league have two to three great players on the defensive line. There's no reason that the Cardinals couldn't have made it work with both of them. 
at least in the short term. So uh, it's frustrating. I think that he's going to have a phenomenal game this Sunday. There's no doubt about it. I think that the Cardinals boast one of the worst offensive lines in football, specifically on the interior. I think they're going to line Clay us up all over the place and let him chase after Gabbert. If this was Carson Palmer playing, I, I for sure think that he would at least have two or three sacks. With Blaine, the, the mobility factor, you know, I still want to put him down for one to two sacks, but at the same time, um, the mobility helps Blaine in, in that regard. Um, I think where we're going to see Blaine struggle is probably some of those, you know, intermediate to, to long distance throws against a, a great, you know, Jaguar secondary, even without Jalen Ramsey. So, you know, it's unfortunate that they couldn't get something done and he's been fully embraced in Jacksonville. He's getting his money and he's putting together heck a defensive player of the year season. And potentially if he, he, he strings together a couple nice seasons in Jacksonville, he's going to have an outside shot for the hall of fame as well. Yeah, that's kind of an area. Of, it's almost kind of like a Philip Rivers type career of where it's been critically underrated, has been consistent every year, has been performing. The, the Hall of Fame is just so difficult to get into because it's not what you know, it's who you know, and a lot of different times for the voting. Um, with Calais, it'll be interesting if he's able to see the end of that deal and the end of that contract. A lot of times when you sign a guy, it's, you know, the NFL's a year-to-year business. You'll go for have two years that you'll know for the guy. That'll be like the two years of guaranteed money. He got $30 million guaranteed. Cardinals weren't willing to make that uh, to give that to him and they're willing to give probably about half of that and some of that might be just a reflection on Steve Kime where this isn't just something where we've we've criticized the the coaching staff we've talked about the players some of the stuff where players have needed to step up Um, we've also talked at least about how Steve Kime has kind of put himself into a corner and just feels like the Cardinals went into 2017 trying to compete with what they had versus having kind of an all-out go for the Super Bowl and makes you wonder if they actually had thought they did have Super Bowl or playoff aspirations kind of going into the year just feels kind of more like they went into this year seeing what they could get out of the guys that they had on staff kind of almost like not totally for evaluation purposes and then injuries happen injuries occurred of course guys didn't step up and Beachy's at least had uh, some improvement the last few weeks he's made a couple splashes in the round game but you're not seeing the guy you took you know top 30 overall uh, having that type of an impact at least uh, let's move and talk a little bit about a cardinals uh interest guy that they had before the draft there's been a lot of reports and rumors that the cardinals absolutely loved blake bortles uh quarterback for the jacksonville jaguars took him third overall um there's been some rumors at least about the cardinals might have been looking at acquiring bortles um what are kind of your thoughts about the season that bortles is having and just more of the ideology we've talked about of building a team where you don't have to make it real dependent and relying on the quarterback because that's really what Jacksonville's done this year I think it's a great motto if you hit on you know an entire defense if you hit on a running game their offensive line has improved this year it's still not a great unit but they've they're getting some nice play out of a couple of rookies uh, Blake Bortles is an interesting case. I thought he was going to be you know, a tremendous quarterback coming out of UCF. He had all those intangibles. He had all those measurables. He looked like, you know, everybody gets compared to Roethlisberger coming out. He looked like Roethlisberger at UCF. Played tremendous in their bowl win. Uh, is somebody that I thought was going to be able to, to elevate this franchise. And listen, two years ago, he threw for over 30 touchdowns. Now, it was probably one of the most flawed 30 touchdown seasons you're going to see based on the competition within this division and the fact that he's playing with a loaded receiving core of Marquise Lee and Alan Hearns and, and Robinson, Alan Robinson, who got hurt this year. But, you know, the fact that they brought in Tom Coughlin, he changed everything within the franchise and has made this, this, this franchise a winner for the first time in a long time and is asking Blake not to do too much, not to beat the team. He's on pace for about 3,300 yards passing. He's going to throw for about 20 touchdowns, you know, 10 to 15 interceptions. 
that's that's Alex Smith numbers, and everybody wants to criticize Blake Bortles, but at the same time, we've been lauding Alex Smith for the last five years with Kansas City and before that with um, with San Francisco, and he really should have taken that team to a Super Bowl. And you look at the, some of the comparisons with the Harbaugh San Francisco team with Alex Smith and this team, great running game, great defense, couple nice pass catchers and Michael Crabtree at the time, and um, Alan Hearns and Marquise Lee and some of these guys. So a lot of similarities between those two teams, and so – uh, I think really the only thing standing in their way of winning this division and and making a long playoff run is the fact that unlike the NFC with a lot of unestablished teams, you know, having nice years like Minnesota, like Philadelphia, I don't think anybody sees a scenario in which Blake Bortles is going to go into Foxborough and beat Tom Brady. I don't think anybody sees a scenario maybe Blake Bortles is going to go into Heinz Field and beat Ben Roethlisberger in a rejuvenated Pittsburgh defense. So, um, I think they're probably going to move on from Blake next season. I think they're going to look for, ironically, another you know veteran quarterback like an Alex Smith who might get cut or traded from Kansas City. But man, oh man, could you imagine what this defense would look like if they or this offense would look like in this team if they had taken it to Sean Watson? They had an opportunity to draft him third overall, and they they passed on him. Uh, but at the same time, looking at Blake and moving into this offseason. Do I think the Cardinals will have interest? If, if Bruce Aarons is their head coach, you bet your ass I think they're going to have interest, even if Gabbert's back. And wouldn't it be ironic if the Cardinals took both of the old Jacksonville Jaguar quarterbacks into the next season as their, their co-starters or their two of, the, two of the top three options? Hopefully the third is a rookie quarterback to be their, their starting quarterback. But, you know, Blake right now, you know, he's an easy guy to root for, and this team is easy to root for because I've, I've said this in previous podcasts, they kind of mirror the Cardinals a little bit. They're, they're forgotten by the national media. It's not considered so much of a football state or a football town. Um, and, you know, they don't sell out their games. The Cardinals have had more success, obviously, recently, and one of the oldest, if not the oldest NFL franchise, Jacksonville is an expansion franchise. But, you know, I like – they're kind of my de facto AFC team because they've been so – and they've you know, never had, you know, prolonged success. And, you know, I like Bortles coming out. It's a team that I find myself semi-rooting for, and I like a lot of their defensive personnel. And it's obviously easier to root for now that Calais plays for them. But, you know, I don't think Blake's going to be back next season assuming that he doesn't take them on a long playoff run. And their motto right now, um, similar to what Minnesota's doing, has a shelf life when you get into January football. Um, I don't think he's the next Kurt Warner and Case Keenum. I don't think Blake Bortles is the next Alex Smith in the sense that he's going to lead this team to a Super Bowl. Uh, but in terms of this Sunday, I think he makes enough plays that he's going to beat the Cardinals at the University of Phoenix Stadium. Yeah, we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, coming up just after the break, we'll get into the last stretch of the Bird Game Blitz podcast. We'll talk about score predictions for Cardinals-Jaguars, and we'll go a little bit into Bruce Arians' legacy just to tie up the game. We'll be back in just a moment. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. 
A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. And welcome back to the last part of Bird Game Blitz podcast today. Uh, John, let's go over a little bit of our score predictions for the game, just because when you look at the Jaguars, they've only given up 14.1 points on average for the game, at least. Um, it's just they are a very, very low-scoring defense. It's going to be kind of a slog fest. What's your thought for what you think the final score might be against the Jaguars? Yeah, I don't foresee the Cardinals scoring more than 14 points. I don't think they're going to score more than one touchdown. As much as I want to see Blaine and Larry and some of these guys have success, uh, I think this Jaguar defense is the real deal. I don't think the Cardinals are going to be able to run the ball. I think the addition of Marcel Darius has elevated the run defense of the Jacksonville Jaguars, which was really their only weakness. Uh, you know, midseason, I think they're the number two against the run now with the addition of Darius, Malik Jackson, Calais Campbell on that defensive line, Dante Fowler, just a plethora of talented defensive linemen. And it goes back to my point, why couldn't the Cardinals have kept Kim Dietschy and Calais Campbell? But, you know, I'm getting off topic here. I think the Cardinals end up losing this game something to the effect of 27 to 10 or 24 to 10. Listen, anybody who believes that the Jacksonville Jaguars can't put up 30 points on the Cardinals – didn't watch them last week against Tom Savage and, and don't know the numbers. And quickly, I want to throw just one of the scariest statistics out that, that a lot of people don't know. And when people think that this team is close or cl close to rebounding or close to being a playoff team next year, the San Francisco 49ers are one and nine and the Cardinals are four and six. And two of those four wins have come against the Niners. The Niners have allowed um, 260 points this season. The Cardinals have allowed 254. So that's only a difference of six six points. Uh, you look at the offensive side of the, uh, the equation, the Cardinals have forced 176 points this season. The Niners have forced 174. That's only two points. So you look at these two rosters and you think the Cardinals are, you know, blessed with so many great defensive players. And, you know, I know they've been injury riddling on offense, but they still have Larry Fitzgerald. They still have John Brown. Um, they've got Adrian Peterson. The Cardinals and the Niners are closer than a lot of people want to admit, and that just shows you how far away this team is from competing for a championship or a playoff berth or even 500. Um, I expect them to lose by double digits this weekend, and I don't think they're going to score more than 10 to 12 points. Yeah, for my final score prediction, I've got it being 36 to 10. I think the Gabbert will get a touchdown to Fitzgerald. Uh, I think that that's where you're going to end up seeing at least um, – Maybe whether it's earlier, maybe it's in garbage time. I think that you will see some of that impact with Jalen Ramsey being out. Uh, but I, when you see how Adrian Peterson's been prone to fumbling, the lack of the Cardinals being able to have uh, protection of their quarterback at times. Uh, Clowney was still able to just wreak havoc in the game. He was the only pass rusher that the Texans have. I think that you're going to see at least maybe either a couple of turnovers. Uh, I think that Leonard Fournette's going to be able to have a huge game against the team. I think it won't be close. I, mean, I think you're going to be looking at another 30-point loss, this time at home, to – uh, a team that really honestly you could, if you play things well, uh, maybe you would have a chance to beat. I don't think it's one of those situations, honestly. I think the Jaguars are a much better team. I think we're going to have to be going into this game afterwards looking at about, or well, this is normally the pace where um, people might be getting let go. I, I think that that's going to be an area of normally uh, you'd start looking at if Betcher gets up at 36 points on the ground, you'd start looking at maybe firing your defensive coordinator after just this pattern of ineptitude. You start looking at wondering if there's going to be um, just uh, anything else. The Jaguars have made quite a few special teams plays and special teams touchdowns, whether that's punt returns, whether that's blocking puns. I think it's just going to be a game where the Cardinals are completely overmatched. And I think that's going to be kind of what's left at least here. 
Uh, real quick, at least in the way through, let's talk a little bit about Bruce Arians and his legacy because I think that's it's very important to go over just because this, for all intents and purposes, does seem like it's going to be um, the last year for Arians, just the way that either he's talking that seems like there's not really as much talk or discussion about 2018 or the future, at least as far as with him. Kime's going to have a decision to have to make as far as for with uh, him and bringing back Carson Palmer. It's just going to be interesting to see if fans are going to start um, – looking at this as being Wizenhunt 2.0? Are you going to look at the Cardinals of just some of the stubbornness of some of the areas of going for it and making questionable decisions? Are fans going to start turning on Bruce Arians? Uh, just as for Wizenhunt's almost a laughing stock to most Cardinals fans now, just from his inability to find a quarterback. Um, some of maybe the arrogance you might even talk about, at least that he had. Um, and just kind of with how he took the Cardinals from a Super Bowl contender to a laughing stock as soon as Kurt Warner retired. Uh, I, I don't think that Arians should be considered in that same path. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was taking the Cardinals third string quarterback and Blaine Gabbert and got three touchdowns out of him on the road, protected him reasonably well all day uh, without with zero run game and with no defense whatsoever. They still had a chance in the fourth quarter to be able to come back and to win that game. I think that's probably what separates uh, Arians from Wisenhunt, where I think the Arians is a good coach, but I think that he's stubborn. I think that some areas of the game have kind of passed him by. We've talked about with quarterback mobility and the league shifting to a quicker passing game now. Uh, my question to you, John, is do you think that Arians is going to be appreciated in the future and remembered fondly by Cardinals fans, or do you think that that all might go out the window if he ends up kind of losing out and ends up having, like, say, a 5-11 and 11 season where they only win one more game down the stretch? What are your thoughts, at least, about that as we head out for today? I think he'll be remembered more fondly than Ken Wisenhunt, even though Ken had you know more success in the postseason. Bruce's first three years here in the desert, uh, he competed in such a – ferocious division with the likes of Seattle and those early San Francisco teams with Jim Harbaugh. And he was able to do less with more or more with less, excuse me, with that early 2013, 2014 roster. Now he did have Todd Bowles, but at the same time, you've seen what he's been able to do when his offense is, you know, clicking in all cylinders. Um, I think that Ken was at a little bit of a disadvantage uh, with Rod Graves as his general manager. I don't think he stacks up against Steve Kime, even with Steve's, you know, lackluster, you know, 2016 draft. But I think Bruce is kind of the everyman, and I think he's more relatable than Ken, and I think he's better, more respected around the league. He's had success other places. You know, he was the interim coach for an Indianapolis team that was egregious on paper and still managed to win 11 games. He's a two-time coach of the year. Um, I, I hope it's Bruce's last year for the sense that, you know, the Cardinals really don't have a future um, with Bruce Arians because you don't know what his shelf life is as a head coach and you can't go into every off season. It's like a little bit like the Favre mantra, whether or not you're able to put plans in place without knowing if your head coach is going to stick around. I think this is the perfect time for him to, to walk away along with Carson Palmer. Um, so the Cardinals are able to, to reload the quarterback and head coach. Um, and so I, I hope Cardinal fans are appreciative of what he did because I certainly don't think many of them, I certainly didn't expect them to get as good as they did as quickly as they did starting in 2013, winning 10 games, probably should have been a playoff team uh, in a division with the two, uh, you know, NFC champion participants uh, in Seattle and San Francisco. So it can always get worse. Don't ever think it can't. Look what's happening. Look what's happening in Cleveland. Obviously, San Francisco, what they've had to go through the last couple of years, uh, the slew of coaching changes around this league, you know, what Cincinnati's going through right now. So uh, I think that, you know, if you're a Cardinal fan, be appreciative 
And I also think if you're Michael Bidwell, I think it would be a bad look to fire Arians. I don't think he's going to. But you made up a great point that I didn't even think about. What if James Betcher is somehow the first casualty on the Arians coaching staff before Amos Jones? I, I, I think it's possible. I, I just think that that's, that's something I hadn't even thought of being possible before the season uh, because everybody just assumes Amos is the first man on the chopping block. But I, I don't think any of them are going to be fired because I, uh, during the season because I think that Bruce is going to walk away at the end of the season. And so you might as well let these guys play out uh, to end 2017. Definitely agree. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Uh, if we're going to basically look uh, for more content of the Bird Gang Blitz, uh, make sure you like and subscribe to us. We are on iTunes now as well as we always post every week to Revenge of the Birds. I uh, hope that you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. That's when we're recording the show. Um, we'll be back next week at least looking at, uh, uh, well, hopefully maybe the Cardinals can pull out an improbable win with Gabbard. That'd be quite a narrative for that revenge game. <laughs> but uh, most likely we're kind of expecting perhaps another Cardinals loss. We might start looking a bit more at draft position some different um, areas, at least just kind of looking more at the future for 2018. Uh, as we send out, John, where can they find you on Twitter? I am at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Uh, yeah, go ahead and follow me on Twitter for all of your Cardinal updates. And you can follow me over at BlakeMurphy7, as well as for my writing on Revenge of the Birds. That'll wrap it up for us. Uh, take care, everyone. Have a good rest of your week. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Connect with others who work for themselves. Connect with like minds, new ideas, and fellow creators. Connect with innovators, industry experts, mentors, and potential partners. Connect with risk takers. Connect with opportunity and new possibilities. Connect with your inner leader, explorer, or inventor. Connect with what your business needs to succeed at QuickBooks Connect. Join us November 6th at the San Jose Convention Center. QuickBooks Connect, backing your path to success. Register now at quickbooksconnect.com. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.